Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guests. Everybody needs a little paradise in their life, especially if you're feeling stuck in life and you don't know how to get what you need from your relationships with yourself and others. My guest today is the amazing Michelle Paradise. Welcome to my podcast. What an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I, I'm so glad to have you. You know, it's been a while. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast, you know, when I first started it. And I know you're a very busy woman. You got a lot of stuff going on. But thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Billy, for you, absolutely. We had a wonderful experience, which we'll probably talk about in L.A., in Man Manhattan Beach. Your, your studio is looking great, by the way. Oh, thank you. What, about six years ago, which we'll probably mention later. And uh, we just seem to have a synchronicity. That's sort of je ne sais quoi. Yeah, well, we're the same. We are, we're those little kids, you know, with the little dreams. It, it's it's amazing. You know, I, I just want to, you know, you said we we met, I don't know, I think it was like 2014, maybe somewhere. No, 2016. It was 2016. About, I think that's when you opened your studio, wasn't it? Did you open I, in 2016? I, I opened it in 2014. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it was no. 2015 then. That's yeah, somewhere around there. But, you know, I was I was I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how we met, but I, I was in a bad place at that time in my life. I had a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I felt like life was beating me down. You know, I had just lost my my stepfather to prostate cancer and then I lost my 11 year old niece to brain cancer. And my uh, my wife and I had a miscarriage and my my dog ran out and got hit by a car and died. And then my wife got diagnosed with breast cancer. And this was all happening, you know, a short period of time. And I felt like I was like life was beating me down. And I really kind of I bottled up a lot of those emotions, you know, for a long time. Um, I didn't really deal with the pain and the loss. And they started surfacing in places where I didn't want them to surface. You know, I'd be like. I, I'd see a St. Jude's Children's Hospital uh, commercial on TV and I couldn't control my emotions. I had a, I had PTSD around cancer. And I, during my wife's journey, uh, I would go from hospital to hospital to hospital. And as I was sitting in that hospital waiting room, I was melting down. And the doctors were more concerned about me than my wife because I just did not, I, the beautiful life that I created, my wife, my son, you know, cancer was pulling at the rug of my life. And I, I had just lost loved ones in my life and I couldn't deal with the, 
what was going on. I mean, I, I couldn't control my emotions. And then somebody told me about you and I, uh, I came to see you and you really truly changed everything for me. I mean, you're, 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 you're magic. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, the times we spent together were, were amazing. And, uh, you know, I still, to this day, you know, I carry a little black marbles in my pocket from our, our session. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yeah. But, thank you. I, I yeah. didn't know who introduced us, but I may not be appropriate to mention the name, but it was a female actress. Oh, Su- Suzanne. Su- Suzanne. Su- 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 yeah. Su- yeah. Okay, but Su- I don't know if it was okay for me to say the name, but we yeah, were no, saying her first name. But yes, yeah. she raved about you and she hooked us up and I came and did some havening uh, demonstration with uh, your actors. Yeah, here at the studio. And it was awesome. It was a so- great night. Great for, the, for the listeners out there that, that don't know, uh, you know, what is it that you do? You do a lot of things. Your, your biography is like three pages long. So I figured I'd let you tell well, us what you do. I've reinvented myself many times in my life. Well, first of all, I'm a girl from Baltimore. Yay. Yeah, or they, yeah. As they say, they're Baltimore, Maryland. And yeah, proud of it. We're made of strong stuff. I um, grew up in America and uh, I got discovered is the only way I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a comedian. So I really relate to all of this. And I got discovered by a British designer and a French designer, and they invited me respectively to their countries. And I, I was a runway model for 20 years. So I did that for 20 years. And um, after that, I thought maybe I should do something else with my life. But I always, always, always loved hearing people's problems. I know it sounds strange, but I did. Because when I was growing up, I was and still am very tall. So I always was perceived to be older than I am. And people would come to me and I had a guess I had a big, strong shoulder. So they would lean on it uh, metaphorically and tell me their problems. And then I thought, you know, I really do like this, but maybe I should get paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to um, I met a few people along the way, won't go into all the details. And I was introduced to NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming for those people who don't know. And um, that changed my life because I went as a client. I was smoking. I was terrified of flying. There were things I never thought I would be able to get over. And in a few sessions, I did. And within that is uh, hypnosis. It's very much a part of it. So I then went and trained fully in that and became a hypnotherapist, a clinical hypnotherapist. And I... I joined up those skills and started my practice. And that was about 20 years ago. And along the way, I was introduced to other methodologies because I like to be an alchemist. I don't just want to be one, one, just one thing. I like to mix things because people are multi-layered, multifaceted. And I do not believe you can treat everybody in the same way and get a good result. So I am client-centered and I meet the client where they are not where I want them to be. So I I added another methodology, which is called havening techniques. We can maybe talk about that a bit later, or I can demonstrate it. And that's what I came to your fabulous studio and demonstrated with, um, I remember, I still have pictures of it with one of your students, and he was like blown away by his change. And it's very, very quick change. And then I met Dr. Gabor Mate, who I hope, some of your listeners know about because he's very much at the forefront of trauma healing at the moment. And he's a Hungarian doctor who lives in Vancouver and he does something called compassionate inquiry. That's his technique. And I 
I was still a student of his, his for the past three years. I'm a trainee of his. And along the way, I also met Dr. Richard Schwartz, who is internal family systems, which is, these are cutting edge, cutting edge, beautiful healing therapies. And that's about being parts of us. So just briefly, we, in therapy, a lot of people say, oh, it's like an onion and you peel back the layers. Have you ever heard that one? You just peel back the layers. Well, internal family systems is a different metaphor. It's like a bulb of garlic. And then we have cloves and each clove represents a part of us. And we can go on a healing journey to heal those, which I love garlic, but we can heal those, those cloves of <laughs> <Me> garlic. <too. laughs> so it's good. And I've melded them all together. And I literally today, if if I'm if it's okay for you to say, I've given birth to a, my new course called The Paradise Process. And I've never really used my name before. It's a fabulous name, but like everybody in the world uses it. So I decided I'm going to use it. So it's called The Paradise Process. And it's about the four steps of healing, which are awareness, acceptance, consciousness, and choice. And I'll weave that into what we're going to talk about. But yeah, so I, I call myself or I'm, I'm classified as a trauma-informed therapist, meaning that I work with predominantly developmental trauma, which is the first seven years of our lives. And specifically, more specifically, the first three years of our lives where we really develop our personality and our response to the world. So genetically, we have a lot of markers, like I have blue eyes and red hair and I'm tall which comes from my family, but it's, that's not what makes the difference in our personality. It's the epigenetics. And just very simply, epigenetics means the environment that we've grown up in. So we live what we learn and we, we absorb the beliefs and values of our families. And there's something called generational trauma, legacy trauma, which we hand developmental tra trauma down to generations. And I certainly got handed some down and by the way, in my treatments, uh, I there's no blame. I do not blame parents. We do not blame self. It's all about what we do. We're not responsible for what happened to us, but we're responsible for what's going to happen to us in the future and the decisions that we make. And that's what I love about it because it's very empowering. And now I'll take a breath. What is NLP? What What is NLP and how does it work? Okay, NLP stands for, it's a real mouthful, neuro-linguistic programming. And I, when I first heard about it, it sounded scary. I was like, what, am I, what are they going to do to my brain? But I'll come from it, from my, my understanding of it and my experience of it. We have something in our brain, which actually isn't that old of a concept. It's only, I think about three years ago, the Oxford English Dictionary accepted it in 2019 as a word. Uh, which is neuroplasticity. And what it means is we have the ability to reset our brain, to change the neural pathway. So a really easy way of describing it would be you're going down a road and that road isn't going very well for you. There's maybe lots of speed bumps or potholes or whatever, and it's not getting you to where you want to go. So you kind of put a detour on it and you choose another path which you use another part of your brain or a neurocortical new pathway. And that is what neuroplasticity is. It gives us the chance to utilize other parts of our brains. Cause I'm sure you've heard this. We, we use a really small percentage of our brain on a daily basis. So this gives us the chance to consciously choose 
to go another path through some really great techniques. And the techniques are basically um, reframing our perception of the world because perception is reality. There is no reality. We all have different, like you and I can be sitting in the same room looking at the same thing, but we're having very different experiences of it based on our epigenetics, what we bring into it. So it's really a very cool set of techniques. And a lot of it, the foundation of it is hypnosis. And that is so powerful because we could talk for years about issues that we have with each other, but that's conscious. And that's not where the behavior really lives. The behavior really lives in the unconscious or the subconscious. And a great example is driving a car. You drive a car, right? Yes. Okay. So there was a time when you got in the car and you didn't know how to drive the car. I I certainly didn't know how to drive a car at some point in my life. And I started being taught or practicing and I got more comfortable and I developed what is called muscle memory. And the muscle memory allowed me to have more confidence and more competence in what I was doing. And this is in anything, riding a bike, acting, singing, whatever. So we we develop these things in our conscious and then we drop them into our unconscious and they become default positions. So we just fire them off. So now when you get in a car, I don't think you think about the 40 plus things that you do when you drive a car. And there's that many things that you do when you drive a car, like mirrors and pedals and all kinds of things. So you don't think about that. And sometimes you can be driving up the freeway and there's an exit and you may think to yourself, how did I get here? I was just at exit 22 and now I'm at 45. So that's what muscle memory does and our unconscious does. That's the good way that our brain works. Unfortunately, we can also store very unhealthy patterns and muscle memories. And a lot of people experience this in their day-to-day life of not feeling good enough, fear of rejection, people-pleasing. And they don't realize that they're doing it until they meet somebody like me where I want to help them gain awareness. So that's the first pillar of healing, to gain awareness of your patterns. And I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I can put my hand up to that one and say, um, I really utilize that for most of my life to be liked, to be accepted. Because our three basic needs, every human being in any part of the world is to be seen and to be heard and to be accepted, validated, loved, however you want to look at it. And if we don't get that as we're growing up, and again, I'm not blaming my parents or anybody's parents because they come into our lives with their own set of issues and they don't change until they get some help. And my, my parents certainly didn't get any help for their issues. So we then adapt our personality to get our needs met, like people pleasing or hyperdependence or uh, perfectionism. Again, I'll take a breath. Does that explain NLP? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of probably why I'm an actor, <laughs> you know, because, you know, as a little boy, you know, my childhood wasn't the greatest. You know, there was a lot of abuse and there was, you know, my parent, my, you know, it was a broken home. And so as a little boy, I, I needed to be seen. I, I needed to be loved. So my way of getting that attention was performing to, to do a little act like a monkey, act like a piece of bacon, act like, a, you know, I'd go to, I have, my mother would take me to the, uh, 
the meat market and, you know, the, I would lay on the floor like a piece of bacon and I'd sizzle up in the pan and I'd get all in saliva or whatever. And when I was done, he'd slice me off a nice little slice of bologna and hand it to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I got, I got some validation. I got some, you know, my mother was like smacking me, get off the ground, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, but it was a way for me to get love. Yeah. You were needing an audience and you found one. Yeah. And, you know, that's truly the the time when I felt seen is when I was performing, when I was able to get people's attention. And and then then I got, you know, that was the way I felt love is every So in school, I would always be, you know, I was the class clown. I was the one performing, you know, doing my little skits. You know, I used to have teachers take me out of the classroom because they called me hyperactive. You know, I would perform in each classroom. And, you know, that was a way of me you know, truly feeling love. Billy, I relate to this so much. I, I didn't have, and this is really interesting. I didn't have a, I wasn't from a broken home or a visually destructive family. You know, there wasn't like, I wasn't abused physically or anything like that. And we don't need to go there with you, but I'm sorry if, if you were. However, there's something called uh, covert developmental trauma. And it's kind of drip, drip, drip. And and maybe a lot of your listeners will relate to this because so many of us have experiences. And you can literally ask somebody, so how was your childhood? Oh, my childhood was great. You know, it was good. I was happy and all that. And then you start delving a little bit deeper. And this is how I discovered this. And I realized that, well, my father was a rageaholic and my mother was clinically depressed. And I didn't realize that at the time. So what happens to the child is the child doesn't feel connected. And that's what the child is looking for. So the child is born, male or female, and they all they want is to be attached to mother, literally and metaphorically, because they have this really strong bond with mother. And there's even research on the micro movements in the face of mothers that the children and fathers that the children pick up on. So they're all they're really looking, it's very simple. They're looking to make mother happy. And if they can't make mother happy, so imagine there's two mothers, the same mother, but two sides of the mother. I'm going to be very simplistic. There's happy mother and sad mother. And then there's child in the middle. And the child looks at happy mother, feels good. The child coos and whatever, and mother smiles. And then there's sad mother. And no matter what the child does, that version of mother never is never happy. So the child cannot process this information. It's way too beyond their capability. And I'm talking about between zero and one. And they begin to believe that they can't make that mother happy. So they're not good enough. And that's where it begins. And so many of my clients, it all comes back to, I'm not good enough. And they didn't realize that a lot of this was laid down in, sometimes in the womb, by the way, This can happen in the womb, especially if the mother is super stressed or perhaps her partner doesn't want the child or maybe she doesn't want the child. That is literally and metaphorically fed to the child through the amniotic fluid. Okay, and the child picks up because stress is on a cellular level. 
You look like you want to say something. Well, no, I'm just, you hit the nail on the head for me. Look, if there was a checklist of everything that could possibly go bad to a child, I'd check all the boxes, you know? And, you know, when I was born, listen, my mother, she was young. She was in her 20s and she had, you know, early 20, she had three kids and she was in an abusive relationship with a man who used to beat her up when she was pregnant with me. Um, yeah, so, you know, she once told me she didn't see me till I walked. So what you're talking about happened to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but 67%, these are recent statistics, of the population have experienced developmental trauma, or some sort of trauma. And the, the thing is with developmental trauma, it can be quite covert. You know, so on the outside, growing up, I'm sure the kids in my neighborhood, the, the parents in my neighborhood thought we were like the perfect family. We, I didn't have any of that stuff that you had, but it doesn't matter. It's not like a competition of how much did you have. It's how it's not what happens to you. It's what it's what happens inside of you. And this is a really interesting sidebar, which I'm going to talk about because I I didn't know this and it blew my mind. You could have three, five, ten children in the same family and each child is born into a different family. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that. And a Dr. Gabor Mate uses himself as an example, so I'll use that if it's okay. He was the first child born into a communist-occupied Hungary. So he was born to an absent father who was in the war and a terribly stressed-out mother, okay? So that was his introduction to the world. His middle brother was then born to a family of immigrants. His parents emigrated to Canada. They didn't speak English, and they didn't have great jobs at that point. So that was his experience of the family. And his third brother was born into um, a very sort of good foundation, spoke English now, had good jobs, completely different experience. Now that is a dramatic explanation, but this can happen in any family where, you know, the socioeconomic situation changes. So each child has a different experience. Sometimes the parents are older or younger than the brother or sister's experience. And this affects us because we are just watching and absorbing everything. We're like sponges. And that's how we figure out what the world is. So some people may listen to this and go, well, I had a really good childhood. I'm not looking for problems. Trust me. I'm not trying to say, oh, you didn't have a good childhood. But I just want people to think about a little bit of what their what their experience was of how they felt growing up emotionally. Did they feel safe? Because this is something I've learned and it really did change my life. I always thought we were looking for happiness in life. I always thought we were looking for success, but we're not. The human being, the brain is looking for safety and we're looking for it in our food that we eat, in the roads that we drive on, the people that we get into relationship with, but we don't actually put that at the forefront. And if you've had an insecure attachment style, which I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you probably did growing up, you are more likely to attract that kind of person into your life because it's familiar to you. And if you hear the word familiar, the root word of familiar is familial. So it comes from the family. So I and I, I can quickly talk about the attachment styles because I think that might help. But I, I was disorganized, which is like one of the worst, probably is the worst. And I don't mean worse, but it's one of the most complicated and multi-layered. So I 
attracted and manifested men in my life when I was dating that were very much like my father and a lot of chaos, a lot of anger, a lot of emotional unavailability. And I didn't understand that. I kept thinking to myself, are all men losers? You know, I kept dating the same guy, but he had a different face, a different name and a different job, but he was the same guy because I was looking for that to feel safe because I had normalized that lack of safety as safety. I hope that makes sense. But I think you you know what I'm talking about. So I would search out those kind of people unconsciously. I'm sure it was unconscious because I didn't, I don't remember going, oh, I'll have that dysfunctional person in my life. But I did and I even married one. So I know this from the inside out. And just, just very briefly, there are four attachment styles and they've kind of become very trendy, almost like astrological signs, like I'm a Taurus and you're a Gemini, so we're this. But it's not like that at all. It's it's very well researched by in the 1950s and 60s by Dr. John Bowlby, if anybody wants to look it up, B-O-W-L-B-Y. And he began to notice that children, when they grew up, they got into relationships differently, obviously, and he wanted to know why. And I'm really simplifying this. So he went back to their childhood. I think he was a child psychologist. And he he started to look at their environment, the epigenetics of their life, the genetics of their life. And he could see very strong markers for what they would be attracted to or what who they would become later in life. And the first one is called secure attachment. It's pretty obvious what that is. But I'll use a metaphor which might help people to understand it. So I'm going to use the metaphor of a kid in a in a playground and the parent or caregiver is sitting on the bench looking after them. Okay. So the kid falls down and skins its knee. This is secure attachment. And the caregiver parent comes over, says to the child, you know, are you okay? Can I put a band-aid on it? Um, maybe kiss them better, you know, you kiss your boo-boo, whatever. And the child feels seen and heard and loved. And in that moment, that child feels safe to go back and play. And the parent goes back and sits on the bench. Okay. The second one is called ambivalent or anxious. Some people know it as anxious. Now, this child falls down and hurts its knee. And the parent sometimes gets off the bench and does what I just described and makes them feel better, soothes them and sometimes doesn't get off the bench and just says, oh, you're fine, get on with it, or ignores them completely and looks at their phone or reads the book. So the child begins to believe that love is unreliable. Sometimes they come and validate me. Sometimes they don't come and they don't validate me. So I am gonna, So I get anxious because I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I don't know which one is coming. The third one is called avoidant, which is again, self-explanatory. So the child falls down and skins its knee. Nobody comes. They just stay on the bench looking at their phone. And the child picks itself up, gets itself together and begins to realize, and I'm skipping through this, that they've got to start looking after themselves because nobody's going to come. So they become hyper-independent, let's say. The fourth one is called disorganized. And this is this was me. And I'm sorry if a lot of people can relate to this, but it's not not a pleasant one. It's a combination of two and three, but it has a different dimension to it. And the dimension is rage and fear. Okay. So the child falls down 
and the parent caregiver, when they come, they're angry with the child. You stupid child. You're so clumsy. You're always falling down. Why weren't you paying more attention? They might hit the child. They might pull it up by its scruff of its neck. And what happens in that situation and that scenario is the, the caregiver becomes the enemy, becomes, you know, the person that doesn't love them at all. And that child, it's, it's, there's chaos. So that child has a lot of the other type, the, the sort of avoidant and the um, ambivalent anxious, but they also have a lot of fear. So what they do, and I'll speak for myself. So I attracted men that were angry, but it felt comfortable. I was used to it. I was used to anger. I was used to my father being angry. And again, I'm not blaming him because the thing is, if you look back at generations, you will see that it, it makes perfect sense. My father had a terrible childhood. I mean, I'm so lucky to not. So what he brought into it was, you know, his own pain. And so I've spent years when I started doing this work and going on my own self-healing journey, I then began to realize that I had this attachment style. I was manifesting and being attracted to something that I normalized and felt very familiar to me. But it was so toxic because who wants to be shouted at? Who wants to be, you know, um, in a relationship where there's a lot of rage? And frequently they can have narcissistic personality disorder. And then the somebody like myself would become codependent, a lot of people pleasing. There's a lot of apologizing for their anger. You're apologizing to them for their anger. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. I'll be more careful next time. Does, do any of those resonate with you? Absolutely. I was a kid that, you know, if I did that, I'd get smacked upside my head and yanked off the ground. And I'm, I'm doing being too dramatic. <laughs> you yeah, know. I thought uh, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do we how do we heal that inner child? Great question. Well, the first thing we do is be kind to it, which hardly any of us do. And I love this little scenario that I run. So there's a knock on the door. I'm sure everybody watching this is in a room with the door because otherwise, how would you get in there? There's a knock at the door and you open the door and there's a very distressed small child there. You don't need to know the child, but maybe you do. So what would you do? What would you do when you saw that child? Comfort the child. Comfort the yeah. child. Okay. To see if he's okay. How can I help? Mm -hmm. And I think everybody listening said the same thing, right? We might even go down to their level to make them feel more safe and more comfortable. And do you want to come in? And or, you know, can I give you something to whatever? We we our heart pours out to them, most of us. We have a lot of compassion. So our little child comes knocking at the door inside who is freaking out. And, and you'll notice that child when you go from zero to 100 in a split second emotionally, and you have no idea why. Have you ever experienced that? Because I certainly have. I'm like, why am I so activated by that thing that person just said? Sure. And I don't know why I'm activated by that thing that person just said or did. And what most of us do when we don't know this stuff is we blame the other person. And there's a great phrase that so many of us have used. You made me feel like that when you said that. Well, no one can make you feel anything that you don't already have inside of you. So in other words, we come into relationship with our wounds. And one of my wounds was 
to not be considered to that she, she, you know I, I I just wanted a relationship with my father that wasn't toxic so I wanted to be chosen in a positive way and if and this happens once a week in my life I mean this still happens where somebody will say something and I will feel not seen not considered not loved not validated and I will go whoosh and I, I my initial thing might be to get angry with them but then I now know not to get angry with them because that's my younger self my inner child <sighs> kicking and screaming and saying I still need some help you haven't really done what you need to do with me. So when our, just to finish that metaphor, here's our, here's our little child kicking and screaming. And what do most of us do? We leave, we go watch a film, we have sex, we eat a meal, we do exercise, but it's like, can't deal with that. So we distract ourselves, we move away from the pain. And I get that. I, I know that very well for myself. Or numb it away. Yeah. Exactly. We do another kind of stuff. Well, that's part of the distraction. We go take a substance or whatever. The second thing we do is get angry with it. Oh, it's you again. You keep showing up in my life. I thought I got over this. Now you might not have this conversation, but these are like the thought process going on in your mind. These are loops and you probably don't talk to it in a very kind way. It's probably quite aggressive and annoyed and angry. And the only solution to helping that younger part of ourselves, and there are many of those, not just one, is to get into communication with it, to show it compassion and non-judgment. Because all that part of you wants is to be seen and heard and loved. So what you can do, you can fill in the blanks, is see it and hear it and love it. Because it's never too late to reparent ourselves. And we know ourselves better than anybody on this planet. We know what we need. We just need to look at it. And if you had a colleague or a student that you were having maybe some conflict with, you could walk away from that person. Nothing's gonna be solved, I don't think. You can get angry with that person. I don't think much is gonna be solved. Or you could sit down with that person and you could, do the, have the hard conversation about what is going on with them and what is going on with you. And I think you would have a much better chance of walking away from that conversation with some resolution. And it's the same thing. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I got to tell you what I've, I took my biggest takeaway from working with you and learning the havening technique was you know, with, when I work with my actors, I do, I teach them how to breathe and meditate. I think it's really important to be able to, to breathe and ground yourself. And, you know, for me, when everything was going on, you know, with my wife and, you know, by the way, my wife is cancer-free and she's healthy. I was going to ask. Yeah. Thank you know, you. So, Thank so, yeah. So, but during that time, she was studying meditation and yoga. She wanted to do her yoga teacher training and she did all this stuff and she'd come home and she'd say, Oh, you got to try this meditation stuff. And I was like, yeah, me meditate. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but 
she kept coming home and saying, you got to try this. You got to try that. Long story short, I went and I got hooked and I, I was going all the time. And I, I really, truly learned how to breathe for the first time and get out of my head. And, and so, you know, I, I, I took my teacher training and I, I teach my actors how to breathe and, and truly how to ground themselves. And, and then, you know, I've studied a lot of different techniques like you, um, a little pinch of this, a little pinch of that, you know, and, I learned, um, you know, kind of I am meditations, breathing into I am, I am grounded, I am safe, I am secure, I am, you know, just breathing into that. And then when I learned the havening technique from you, I, I found that when I did the havening technique and I really, what happened was like the key to the next door to like, ah, bliss, joy. I mean, my meditations went like off the, like, I couldn't even, you can't even explain how amazing meditation was like an outer body experience. So I started putting them all together and I put a little concoction together that I teach my actors. And when I do a guided meditation with them, I do an inner child uh, with them and I bring their inner child in front of them. And I, tell them, you know, they, they talk to their inner child and say that I, you know, I love you. You're safe. You're secure. You're grounded. You're you're God's masterpiece. There's nothing wrong with you. You deserve, you're valuable. You're worthy. You're, you know, and then I let them haven themselves in that moment, just giving the, their inner child, just that little love and holding on. And then I, have that little inner child melt into them and become one with them and then fill their heart with all the beautiful stuff they're grateful for. And, you know, it's just kind of, uh, it's, it's giving yourself some, I call it the self-love meditation. It's just giving yourself because, you know, when you do this, you know, it releases those Delta waves in your brain when you do the havening, havening technique and it gets you to this beautiful space. And if you fill your heart with stuff that you're grateful for and, and, it just it's really just giving yourself that self-love and and giving yourself permission to shine, that you're worthy, you deserve it. And a lot of times, you know, that little voice that has is carrying those bags from their childhood thinking they're not worthy. You know, if maybe you're the parents say you're never going to amount to nothing, you're no good, you know. Well, you know, you're carrying that baggage and it's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. You know, you gotta let go of that baggage. Gosh, that is such a beautiful melding of things. First of all, what you mentioned in my in my world, in my meaning, is self-care. And that's how we heal, heal our child, by, by paying attention to it and healing those parts. So meditation, yoga. And this might be a good moment to just give a brief description of havening techniques. Yes, what please. It is. What is havening? Um, well, there are three ways. They call it three pillars of um healing intervention, right? So the first one is the psychology. So those are the talking therapies. And there, you know, we sit and we talk to people and we change our perspective and things like that. And I'm just going to skim over these. The second one is called psychopharmacology. And that, that, those are the medications like SSRIs, benzos, you know, um, Prozac, all of the, all of those things. So one is dealing with the mind. The first one is dealing with the mind. We're talking. The second is dealing with the body because it's changing the chemicals in the body and the brain. And the third is called psychosensory. And psychosensory therapies are yoga because it's connecting the mind and the body. So you are focusing some on something and you're also focusing on your breathing or your, your 
bringing your body into it. Art therapy comes under that as well. Um, many do. Uh, yoga comes under that. And so does havening techniques because havening techniques is having a thought of an outcome that you want very simplistically and or an event that you've, you want to move away from the emotional impact of it. And there's three parts of the body that we have, excuse me, we have in the face, which releases the highest level of delta waves. You can just go like this and it's butterfly kisses. And why do we want to release delta waves? Because delta waves are our deep sleep and healing state. So this is always done. I'll push back a bit. You come down and around, not down and up. And when you're doing it on yourself, you can just carry on to your fingertips. Obviously, they wouldn't be suspended like this, but I'm just showing you. So when we go into a delta wave state, which we can do with our eyes open, we go into a deep sleep and healing state. And havening is the transitive verb of haven, which means safe place. So we go into a safe place to deal with difficult things. So if you're not feeling safe, to say, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe is focusing the mind. So as they say in quantum physics, where focus goes, energy flows. So if you're focusing on a positive outcome, you're more likely to get a positive outcome. So any havening affirmation is to be said in the positive and in the present. So you wouldn't say, I don't want to feel sad. You would say, I'm happy. I am happy. I am happy. And those, because that's the direction you want to go in. And here's a really quick way of doing um, it to find out where you are on the scale of sort of being attuned to your affirmation. So let's say you want to be safe, but you don't feel safe. So to say I'm safe is probably not going to work very well because it's, it's not congruent with where you are and where you want to be. So there's like four filters you can run an affirmation through. So the, the first one is what if, what if I could feel safe? What if I could feel safe? What if I could feel safe? And you just do this and then you check in with you. Does, is that believable? Do I feel, is it possible for me to feel safe? Oh yeah. Okay. It's possible. So let me move on to the next one. The next one would be, I can choose to feel safe. I can choose to feel safe. I can choose to feel safe. You do that one for a while and then you move to the next one. If the next one doesn't feel right, then you go back and you do that as long as you need to. That could be in five minutes, the next day, whatever. So the next one, the third one would be, I choose to feel safe. So you see how we're getting more close to the believability, the congruency of feeling safe. So if you feel, oh, that, that's good. Yeah, I, I choose to feel safe. I feel really confident about that. Then you go into, I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. I'm safe. And then that one you can pull out whenever you need it because you have developed a new neurocortical pathway of feeling safe. So let's say you're in a situation where you don't feel safe and you can't do all of this publicly. You just do it on your hands like you're wiping sand off your hands. You can do it under the table or on your lap or you can excuse yourself and go to the bathroom and do it in there if you don't want to do it publicly. But it doesn't take a lot of time, as you know. It's it can be very quick. We're talking about minutes here because I'll tell you something really quickly. I use this story all the time. When I was at your Manhattan actor's studio, you had an audience and the audience was a real mixed bag of people, which I love. And there was a woman, I don't know if you remember this. There was a woman, she was probably in her fifties and she was sitting there like this, 
and I did a Q&A at the end after I demonstrated it. And she was quite, you know, unbelieving of, of it, which I love, bring it mm. on. And um, she said, so what is this? And so I explained it to her. And then she softened a bit. And she, she, she told me that she was a NICU nurse for years. I think she had retired. And obviously the children, the babies that she worked with 10 years ago wouldn't have survived, right? Because that's how we've progressed. Mm -hmm. But she said something that they've noticed, and there's white papers on this, is that the baby in the incubator does three things to self-soothe. They hold their face in their hands, they hug themselves, and they clasp their hands together. And that's how they soothe themselves. And these are the three areas mm -hmm. that we use to release delta waves. I thought it was magical. And it I was. That I remember that yeah. all the time. And she became my client after that because she was like, I'm in. I want to experience this. So thank you for that, Billy. Well, you're all welcome. those years ago. Yeah, you know, it's it's very powerful. I mean, I know, you know, when I found out about it, I was like, wow, there's something here. And I share it with everybody. I mean, I teach all my actors how to how to hate themselves. And now you can use it in different ways. I feel like for me, you know, I like to, you know, you can you can do it to cut the head off the, the monster and insert something in there, you know, like you did for me. Like, let's go back to me in dealing with cancer and the trauma of people dying and me being in a lobby and when we worked together, you brought me back to the event when the Absolutely. doctor diagnosed Eventually. my wife and said, your wife has cancer. And we literally went back like an actor sensorily to that event. And, you know, what was I wearing? What was she wearing? What was the doctor? Any sounds, the, the lobby, the whole like the whole event really getting into that state that I was at and really kind of from a scale of one to 10, see if I can get myself up to a 10 where I was truly in that emotional place. And once we got there, you start, we started havening and we inserted something else in that we brought my, brought me to a safe place and we inserted a, a happy memory, something else in that yeah. slot so when we, when I went back afterwards, it took the, all the, the power away from the, the, the pain away from that event. It was like magical. Like, wait a second. I'm not feeling that way. I can go back to that event, but I don't feel the, 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 the weight of it all. And it was, it was truly magical. And I go, wait a second, there's something definitely here for me, for actors. I mean, I know we go to, you know, maybe there's some stuff we have to let go of, you know, from our childhood. Maybe there is a trauma, uh, an event that, that, that we're dragging that stuff into our future, you know, and, and it doesn't serve us. So maybe we have to let go of that. Maybe we can go to that event and, and haven it and put something else in its place so we can heal that event as a child and move forward so I know it, it's truly powerful, but the way I use it sometimes is just, I like to see myself in a beautiful divine white shower, you know, and I'm literally just washing away. Like I'm like shampooing my hair, washing it off my face, down my cheeks, down my arms and just watching, you know, whatever it is I need to let go of watching it, like go on the exhalation, go right out my drain, right out my roots and letting it go. And it's just a cleansing, washing 
let me get rid of this. I can go play with that stuff and make some art out of it, but I don't have to live in it. I know for me as an actor, I, I used to go into a black box theater and pick my emotional scabs and bleed and then use that as the paint to, to paint the canvas to the scene. But then I walk out of the theater and I was still bleeding. Yeah. And I don't want that for my actors. So yeah. that's why I developed this little technique. And, and it's just about resetting, rebooting, like, you know, like, like, like a computer, like, you know, you get, you, you, it, it's not working right. You reboot it or your phone. It's a, it's a reboot boot for the actor just to, to get present, you, not be in the past. You can't, if you're in the present and in gratitude, you can't be in the past, you know? So it's really just a way to kind of just wash it away and breathe and ground yourself. And, you know, give yourself an affirmation or something, you know, that I am, I am grounded. I am happy. I am, you know, whatever it is that you need in that moment. So I, I, it's, I think it's a very powerful tool for actors. It is. And wow, you explained it so well. It's just a couple of things I want to pull out from that. It is so flexible and you are a testament to that, how you've adapted it for, for your needs. And what we did just for the sake of the listeners, we did something called event havening. There are very, there are many different ways of haven, but yours was event evening because it was around a specific event that had negative emotions attached to it, even though you were nowhere near it. You had moved away from it. It was days, weeks, months before, maybe even years, but you were still carrying the negative emotions. So what we did in Havening, we did it together, is you brought up the, the emotion. We measured on a scale of zero to 10 called an SUD, subjective unit of distress. You were around a 10, if I recall. We then pre-decided some distraction techniques, and the three distraction techniques are counting backwards. I, I'm sure you remember that. Mm -hmm. Humming and mm -hmm. lateral eye movement. So what I, I got you to do, so people understand this, is to count backwards some things, and they're best if they're things that you like, or count footsteps in the sand, or count steps, or whatever. And what that does, uh, and then you hum, and then you have this lateral eye movement, and they're all powerful distraction techniques to interrupt the pattern. And that's what it is called. It's a pattern interrupt. So you're interrupting the pattern of the mind thinking about this and then having um, a physical sensation. Maybe your heart would beat faster, your palms would sweat, or you would have a panic attack. Hopefully not, but you know, some people do experience this. And what we did is we delinked the emotion from the memory so as you beautifully said you can still have the memory but you don't have the emotion that is attached to it that sends you into a dark place mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. if anybody wants to see this in action i have the number one aren't i lucky the number one self-havening video on youtube and if you go to michelle paradise on youtube and i'll spell it for you because it's slightly different m-i-c-h-e-l-e -E, paradise p-a-r-a-d-i-s-e I've got a 10 minute self-havening, event havening video for you to follow. And people actually tell me it's changed their life. And I'm delighted to hear that, but I'm not promising that at all. But if you go in there, what I would suggest is don't use something really big and traumatic, you know, maybe a row with somebody or you got cut up in traffic or whatever. But if you want to do something really big, you need to work with a professional practitioner like myself. And there are many others out there. And I work on Zoom. I'm not asking for business. But I'm just saying I work on Zoom. But there are people in California and many other places in the world that that you can see in person. And what they do is they haven you with your permission, obviously. So I'm so glad you got a great result from it. I do think it's magical. And, but it's also heavily based on science. But it just looks so simple. It's like, how could that be 
be scientific, but it is, and I'm not going to bore you with all that at the moment, which I could, but there are even videos about that, not on my YouTube channel, but on other YouTube channels. And I think Justin Bieber uses this all the time before he goes on stage. And when he gets very activated, there's, there's articles on it. It's on my website. Uh, the Kardashians have written about it. Various, many other people really use it quite covertly because you can, you can just yeah. do it very simply with your hands and it's just as effective as doing it on your face or on your shoulders to elbows. And I love that you bring in the inner child because a lot of people struggle to connect to their inner child or they meet the inner child and the inner child is really freaked out. Well, imagine havening them, which is what I believe that you're suggesting. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah, because you're giving yourself some that you, you're visualizing this beautiful child in front of you, you, and you're giving yourself love and you're telling this child that they're worthy and they're valuable and they're a masterpiece and there's nothing wrong with them. And you're giving that little you permission to shine your light and step up and, and be who you really are because you're not your past. You're not your thoughts in your head. You're the, I truly believe you're this beautiful light within you, this, this beautiful light. And that, that talent was given to you. It's a God given gift. And it, and it, it wouldn't have been given to you if you wouldn't be able to succeed in it. It's, it's there within you. It's a gift. Not everybody gets it. So it's about giving yourself the little you, the permission to shine that light because yeah. you're worthy of it. It it's, you know, you're a King, you're a queen, you're a perfect, just the way you are and you're not the past. And, you know, it's letting go of that. And I've just today, as a matter of fact, um, launched my new course called the paradise process, which does this work. It's a hybrid course. So it's uh, four modules, awareness, acceptance, consciousness, and choice. And then there are sub modules with four videos in each one and meditations, all kinds of things. There's lots of resources. So uh, how do I find this? Well, could we link this on to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. In the show description. Yeah. I'll link it. Absolutely. I'd love it's, it's less than half price of a session with me. And the beauty is that you get 16 modules uh, that you can watch at any time. They're yours for life. You get all the resources, PDFs, meditations, journaling. This is 20 years of my work. I finally, I, I, I put it on Instagram today and said, I've just had a baby. Congratulations. <laughs> I've been pregnant for 20 years and I've just had this baby that I've been carrying Love around. It. Finally, I brought it out into the world. But the beauty is for the first 10 people that sign up and I wanted to, to offer something extraordinary, in terms of, you know, helping people, because during COVID, post-COVID, I just see so much pain out there. And I there really, is. I appreciate that so many people cannot make a financial or time commitment to seeing somebody on a one-to-one -one basis. And I absolutely honor that. And I wanted to offer something that was, that was accessible to just about everybody. So it's less than half price of a session with me. But what you get, the first 10 people to sign up get a 30-minute clarity call with me. So I can quickly help you to, to, to you know, determine the focus of your journey of self-healing. And as you just said beautifully, it's all about self. And I, I, when I say self, it's got a capital S. It's big S, self. And what has happened to most of us is we've moved so far away from self because of the life that we've grown up in, the environment that we've grown up in, we have done nothing wrong. 
there we've done nothing wrong. There are no bad parts of us. And what uh, my my journey is the paradise process is to bring us back to self because that beautiful little child is still there. It's never gone anywhere. It's just been covered over. If I may say this, this is a technical term by layers of shit, and we're just going to dig through those and. And we can do it quite quickly. And that's what the course is all about, to bring us back to self. And it gives you tools and techniques to use for the rest of your life. And I don't want anybody to become dependent on me because I don't think that that helps anybody. I want you to learn to be able to get yourself out of dark places and dark moods and depressions and feeling that you're not good enough. And for actors, I'm sorry to say, um, having been a model for years, that is exactly what took me into modeling is I didn't feel good enough. And I chose, when I look back now, I chose a profession was probably the worst profession for me, even though it was, I was very successful, but I was waiting to be chosen all the time, which is what I had been doing in my childhood with my father and my mother waiting to be chosen. And they just didn't see me because they had so much of their own stressors to deal with. So if I had known then what I know now, I think I would have enjoyed my journey mm-hmm. of being an actress or a model much, much more because it would have had, there would have been a lot of healing done in it. And I would still have done it, but I wouldn't have had this need, this desperate need to be liked, to be accepted, to be validated, to be chosen. And modeling, unlike acting, there's even less substance to it. They just choose you on the way you look. You don't even mm-hmm. get to open your mouth and read something or sing or dance, as you know. So it, it can actually set you back. But I'm happy to say that I'm now much more securely attached because I have healed a lot from disorganized. And that's the beauty of it. You can always heal. It's never too late to go on that healing journey. It is a continuum. It lasts for the, your whole life. It's not on and off switch. I don't think one day you're feeling bad and the next day you're feeling amazing and that's it for the rest of your life because life happens. People get cancer, all kinds of things can happen, but it's how we deal with it that changes and how we feel in ourselves, how secure we feel and how safe we feel. I hope that makes sense to your listeners and to you, but yeah, I'm very excited about this work because All the things I've learned, I really feel like you said earlier, I feel like I've opened that door that had the final answers in it or the final techniques in it, the final methods of healing self and helping others. I don't heal others, by the way. I guide them. I'm just a guide. And you do the work. And that's why you get the healing, because you own it. It's your commitment to it. I love that. And and listen, I'm... A testament to I know what you do works. You know, I, I've I've experienced it. You know, it's 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 very powerful what you do. And congratulations. I think that's awesome that you have this course. And I highly recommend it to anybody, anything, you know. I mean, you have all kinds of stuff out there. And I know you work with Deepak Chopra on his what is it, Jaya? Jaya, yeah. I was his personal development coach. And I had a channel called The Healing Haven, which is all about havening. And is that still available? Can people look at that? Unfortunately, it isn't. But you've just reminded me, I have a free platform, okay, which I completely forgot to mention called, and this is interesting, my name is really Michelle Paradise, but I've never used it, you know, in business, because the world uses the name, it's in songs and everything. So I decided to set up this free membership platform. I say membership because 
it's not like Facebook. So it's very private and you're invited in and it's called Finding Paradise. So that's the first part of what I did. And a year later from that, I started the Paradise process. But Finding Paradise is a lot of what I do on my course, but just in small tranches, you know, and I put up videos, meditations, PDFs. So if we could put a link to that as well, then maybe those of your members that or listeners that may not be ready to put their whole foot in, dip their toe in finding paradise, get a feel for my work. And what I wanted to create was a compassionate community of healing, because if you look back at tribes, they healed better. They didn't have the problems we had because they had community. They supported each other. They listened to each other. They danced together. They sang together. We're so isolated and Unfortunately, statistically, loneliness is one of the biggest killers of people because they have broken hearts. They don't have connection with others and all kinds of bad things can happen, which I won't go into. And we can, you know, the suicide rate is through the roof. So I wanted to create a community of support because we're all going through very similar stuff. Especially now with the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. I've never been busier in my life. And that may sound great. But it isn't great because it just means that there's a lot of people out there really struggling. And I wanted to create something that was free for the people that couldn't afford anything. And that's what Finding Paradise is. So I'll we'll share that link as well. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, I was looking at your your uh, biography and it said that, you know, you've appeared on in TV on Next Top Model. uh, Make me a supermodel model behavior. How to look good naked. (laughs) So, but, you know, I. (laughs) I love, I love that, you know, you've worked with being a model and you work with people, public speaking, confidence, you know, can we talk a little bit about that? What if I'm an actor and I'm dealing with nerves or I'm dealing with anxiety, which I hear a lot, you know, I tell my actors, let's delete that from your vocabulary. Let's get rid of that word. Just throw it in the trash, get rid of that, you know, or even nervous, you know, what about I'm excited? You know, it's the same thing. You're just putting a negative thing when you start going into nervous. Oh, what if I die? What if I forget my lines? What if, you know, what if, you know, what if, but if you can just kind of breathe and get grounded and and what, what would your advice be to actors dealing with stage fright or or anxiety that kind of stuff? Great question. A A client comes to mind that I'll share A guy came to me, he was in his 30s, and he knew I did public speaking training. So he thought I was going to like wave a magic wand and turn him into a public speaker because he was terrified of public speaking. I don't know if your listeners know this, but 70%, 70% of the population have a public speaking phobia, not fear, phobia, which is very extreme. And I think it was, um, his name escapes me at the moment, American... um, a comedian, he said, people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. That's how <laughs> terrified they are of, of public speaking. And it's true. Yeah. Actually, it's true. But this guy come to me and he said, you know, I'm up for a job promotion and I'm terrified of public speaking. So me being me, I always want to go to the core and I want to find out what it is because I don't, no one is born with fears like this. No one. We, we've learned them somewhere. And I'm much more interested in where did you learn this? What, what is the core, the encoding of this? So I think he thought I was going to do the public speaking, getting him away, which we did as well. But I said, when's the first time you felt like this? And he said, mm, 
And he was like, I don't know why this matters. I was like, well, just, just play along with me. So he, we got back to it. He was about five or six years old. He was in grade school and he was volunteered to read in front of the class. He did not volunteer. And the teacher said, Johnny, come up here, handed him the book. And he stood there like shaking. And he read it badly. He stuttered and the class laughed at him. Right. That'd and, be me. <laughs> and he then dropped the book, ran out of the room crying and never wanted to go back. And he says, but what does this have to do with now? And I said, well, that's called Emily. Now this goes back to Havening. Emily is the perfect storm for a traumatic experience, which is what PTSD is. It's the aftermath of the traumatic experience. So maybe some of your listeners can think about their past and when did they first notice that they were having this issue? And in, in Havening, we look at first, worst or last, okay? So I had his first. Now, Emily means event. So the event was involuntarily having to read in front of the class, meaning the meaning that he gave that is I'm stupid. They all laughed at me. And in that split second, he became believing of that. L is for landscape. Landscape is to do with the brain. Landscape. So are we vulnerable or resilient? And unfortunately, he was vulnerable because his father lost his job. Their socioeconomic situation had changed. Things at home were very stressful. So he was not in a good place, even though he's six years old. And the last one, which is the big one, is especially for a child, inescapability. You can't leave. You can't move to another house, get a job, move to another state. You're stuck in that situation, right? So he had to come back to school. So we did event havening around that event, and he got the job and now speaks in front of people and all of that. Now, it's not that simple for everybody, obviously, but that might help some of the people listening to that to at least connect to that. They can watch my video and that will help them to downregulate the anxiety around an event that might be attached to them public speaking. If you don't know what it is, you can do something called outcome havening. So, and you talked about this, whether you realize it or not, you talked about this already, where you create a different outcome. So instead of having a Hollywood disaster film as an outcome, have a Hollywood rom-com, right? So create a film of that situation going differently whilst you're havening, okay? And, you know, you work with very creative people, so create a script, direct the film. This is all in your mind, obviously. Mm -hmm. Journal it, write it down if you want to, and really have a sensory experience of what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you smell, what you feel, because our five senses, we filter everything through our five senses, and really get into that. And if it helps, and you're alone, or it doesn't matter if you're with somebody, you say it out loud, you run that film of the, of the better outcome. And the brain doesn't differentiate between what is real and vividly imagined, and that's a fact. Yeah. And that's why we can really get into character, because we can vividly imagine ourselves as that character. And we will begin to notice a change. And then what you can do is create an affirmation attached to that that is an easy takeaway. And let's say you're suddenly on somewhere or you're, you're in a position where you've got to speak and you're not expecting it. Then you take that affirmation and you activate it and you do the havening. Okay. And you say, I'm safe. I got this. And you know, you, you flesh it out to whatever you want. And just to say this, uh, when I first started doing Havening, I was really cynical because I am that kind of person. It's like, prove it to me. 
show me this works. So I think it was the first year in my training and I got some really hard news. I just want to show you how this works so beautifully. And I have low blood pressure, thankfully, I guess. And I had a blood pressure cuff, so I popped it on and I was about 178 over 125. I'm usually 90 over 60. That was high for me. So I thought, I'm going to test this evening. So I did about seven to 10 minutes of, I am cool because I felt hot. I am calm. I am calm. I am safe. And I wasn't really sure if it was going to work, but I did it. I trusted in the process. Popped the blood pressure cuff back on after about seven to 10 minutes of doing this continuously. And my blood pressure was 125 over 70. And I was really impressed. So my point is, if you are feeling overwhelmed because you have to do something publicly and maybe your blood pressure does go up or your anxiety levels go up, I promise you this physically and scientifically, I can prove it because I proved it on myself, will reduce that anxiety. So it's it's not rocket science. It's not it's nothing really complicated. Just trust in the process that when where your focus goes, your energy flows, make it positive, create positivity around it, keep it present, keep it in the positive, and you will get the results you want. You might have to do it for a couple of days, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, whatever you've got. It's not to put any pressure on you, just integrate it in your life. And then it becomes a muscle memory and you just do it organically. You just, I see people that talk, my clients now, they'll be talking to me and they'll start getting upset and I might have to remind them, Haven, or they just start doing it themselves. They just start sitting there doing this while they're talking about something really difficult because it puts them in a safe place for that period of time. This, we, yes. Do you think that's helpful? Would that be Absolutely. helpful? Absolutely. You know, I tell my actors all the time, the same, you know, I give them this tool, but I say, you know, this is something you want to practice on a daily basis. You want to, you, Absolutely. you want to, you, it's like going to the gym. So when you need it, when you're backstage and you're waiting for your cue or you're having to go up, you walk into that audition that you've trained yourself and then you can just step in, ground yourself, breathe, whether it's a havening or if, uh, you know, an incantation, you know, that you put into your, yourself on a daily basis, you know, I am fearless, I am confident, I'm successful, I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am loved, you know, that you put it in you every day. And then, then it takes a little some some kind of movement to just kind of remember, uh Oh, who am I, you know, changing your physiology, you know, and just oh, getting, getting into your, you know, your, your, your Superman, you know, like, I'll kick the door down, you know, and I know for me personally, I'm the kid who, you know, at, Five or six, the teacher, you know, said, Billy, come up here and read chapter three, you know. It was and you. I, yeah, it was me. And I'm the kid that went, and the kids left or whatever. You know, I, I am that kid. So I don't like public speaking. I've never liked, uh, listen, I'm an actor. I, if you, if I step into the shoes of a character, then it's not me. I can do whatever I want exactly. as an actor. But when I, when I created my podcast, it was, it was really interesting because, at first, you know, when I my, recorded my first introduction on my podcast, I had never, this is so me getting outside my comfort zone is talking on a microphone as me, you know? So I remember when I first started my podcast, I did an intro and 
And I came home and I and I played it and my son laughed at me. He said, Dad, you sound like a game show host, <laughs> you know, because I was trying to play the part of the podcaster, you know, yeah. and it was fake. And and he said, Dad, why don't you just talk like yourself? And I was like, yeah, smart kid. But, you know, I really, truly found my, my own voice. But I had to deal with the first times I, I, you know, I would get on this microphone, the heart pounding, the little like, you know, the the nerves. And then I, I truly had to give myself some something in the beginning to remind myself on who I am. You know, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. And, and this is me being of service. This is me sharing, you know, my 37 years of knowledge to the listener out there. You know, I truly found for me, it's not about me anymore. It's the secret to living is giving is being of service. And, you know, when I was doing the acting thing, it was, you know, I was trying to get love and I was trying to prove people wrong. And, you know, when I had the, you know, when I had all the stuff, the material stuff, the thing I was producing a movie, I was the star of the movie, I had the loft and so I had all that stuff. I was miserable. And I was like, is this, is this it? Like, is this it? And I realized that I was, you know, uh, for years, I, I was really about proving other people wrong. All those people didn't believe me. The naysayers, it was, it was, look at me, I'm on TV. People love me. I'm love. But it was, it was empty. There was, there, it wasn't fulfilling for me. Doing this, opening up my school, being of service, making a difference in somebody else's life, helping somebody heal, get rid of their, their, their baggage and, and free them up to shine their light. To me, that's the most rewarding thing ever. You know, when I get my actors telling me, hey, I got an agent, I got this, I got that, a guy, and my phone blows up all day long, I know that I'm making a difference in other people's lives. So that's why I do what I do. And we I know are, that's why you do what you do. That, absolutely. I was about to say, waiting for you to finish, we are on that same path because, yeah, I've been blessed in so many ways and I want to give back. I definitely want to give back. And there were people in my life that knew a lot more than me when I was younger and they helped me. And now I might know a lot more than some people who are younger than me or whatever. And I'm no different than them. I'm just in a different place on my path. Maybe I'm a little bit more ahead, but we're all, we're all, I think I heard this expression. You might've heard it during, um, during COVID. And I just thought it was brilliant. We're all in the same storm, but on different boats. And I thought, yeah, that's so true. We can I, we can relate to each other, but we are all having very different experiences. But there aren't that many different experiences. Let's say there's like 10 different kinds of experiences that we're going through in life. And that's why we can share and we can support each other because we've all in some way experienced it. And what you just said about the loft and what does it mean and is this it? That to me, I mean, I can really relate to that. That to me is saying that there is a wound that needs to be healed. And you weren't aware of that at the time. Why would you be? You are now and you've done that work and bravo that you have done it. But when we get to that point and we've, we've got the perceived success and the accoutrements that go with it and we're still not happy, then there's some healing that needs to be done inside that we have carried from those single digits in our lives when we were sure. between the ages of zero and seven. And that's what I want to help people do is to free them, those parts of themselves up so they can, little boy, little girl can join up with the current person, heal those wounds, meld together and feel much more complete and have some joy and play. And it's something I just want to mention about what you were saying about the havening in that um, it's about control. And it's such a beautiful way to control. So when we're feeling 
afraid to speak publicly, we feel out of control, don't we? we when, whenever we're overwhelmed by something, we feel out of control. And the beauty of havening is all you need is clean hands and you take back your control. You're calming yourself down. So technically what's happening is let's say that this is your brain. This is your brain stem. A thought goes up. It hits your reptilian brain. So you have the physical response, the heartbeat, the sweating, the physiological. And then it, and this happens very quickly. Then it hits the mammalian brain, which is where the amygdala is. So that's here. Your prefrontal cortex is online, if you can imagine it like that. And But when it's a negative thought or experience, it blows the prefrontal cortex off and it basically flips its lid, putting it nicely. So what havening does is it focuses on the amygdala, which is sort of this third eye, and it helps us to downregulate and bring the prefrontal cortex back online. Because when the prefrontal cortex is offline, we're not grounded and we're not making good decisions. And you can't make a good decision from a bad place. So that's why we want to have some control. And I think it's great to be able to have control so easily. And it doesn't cost anything. Love it. How many things in life are free? I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. It's so great to see you. I thank love you what you're time. doing. I, I love, you know, where can people, where, where are you on like social media world? Okay. Where can people um, find you? I'm on Instagram and it's Michelle Paradise Official. I'm on Facebook, Michelle Paradise as well. And I'm on YouTube, Michelle Paradise as well. It's always one L and two E's because there are other Michelle Paradise. In fact, there's an actress, a fairly well-known actress called Michelle Paradise, but she's two L's and two E's. And sometimes we get confused, but I'm not her. I wish I was, but I've taken a different path. So yeah, I'm, I'll give you lots of um, clickable links, if you wish, for Finding Paradise, Paradise Process, which launched today, and it goes live in a week or so, and my YouTube channel as well. I can give you all the handles for those. If Wonderful. And, and I'll add them in the show links. Once again, Michelle, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's so great to see you. I love what you're doing. And I wish you a beautiful day. I'd love to see you. We have to get together soon. We will. I'll be in LA soon. I Wonderful. promise this year. I've been trying to come, but various things held me back. But thank you so much. And I met you years ago, but I've never forgotten. There's a very special chemistry and energy between us because I think we have the same vision. We, we approach it differently, but we have the same vision and we want the best for the people that we work with. And um, I love meeting people like you. I love meeting people like you. <laughs> Sending you a big hug. Same here. Kisses from paradise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.